are wrapping up a study through the book of Philippians today. And uh, we're going to be studying in Philippians chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and open up there. One of the themes that is consistent in the book of Philippians 4 is joy. The word joy is mentioned more in this book than any other book in the New Testament, which is also interesting because it also handles a lot of stressful situations that gives some advice on how to deal with suffering. And while those two things may seem a bit paradoxical, you see that they go hand in hand. Wherever there is suffering, we look for joy. Wherever there is stress, we look for peace. And today's talk is all about peace. Matter of fact, in this chapter, it talks about a peace that can come and guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. But it actually says, a peace that passes understanding. So that's what I want to hopefully dig into God's word and help us understand is how to come across that peace. I think we're all looking for peace of mind. These are stressful times that we live in. Matter of fact, one of the leading research firms, American Psychological Association, has listed some things that are kind of the top common stresses in the country. Did you know that more people are worried about their job than their money? I thought that was pretty interesting. I figured it would be the exact opposite, but I love my job, so maybe my context doesn't make sense. I've got the best job in the world working for this awesome church. Amen? But you probably have been there before. You know, I worked at Little Caesars in high school. I worked at a vet for a little while. Like, I've had a couple of non-ministry jobs, so I know what it's like to kind of be miserable at work. And a lot of times when you're at work, you've got a boss that wants to take credit for all your hard work. Somebody else gets your promotion. So when you think about it like that, it's maybe easy to understand why that pressure, that's what you clock into at 8 o'clock and you clock out of at 5. That's like your reality. That can be pretty stressful. According to the research firm, they say that more people, now get this, this makes a statement about where we're at as a country. More people are worried about the future of our country than actual crime and violence rates. Now, isn't that interesting? We are stressing out about things that we have no control over, but we're not so stressed about things that we actually could make a difference on. These same people were listing some everyday common stress triggers that this next one I think may rub some of you the wrong way. They said that coffee can be a cause of stress. And I just don't like their tone. I don't appreciate that very much. You know what I mean? Apparently there's something in caffeine that can put you a little bit on edge, but I don't know, I feel like it helps me preach better. You know what I mean? I, I know, Dawson, y'all rejoiced when y'all got that Starbucks a few months back, you know? And, you know, everybody from Forsyth likes that one better because it's got nitro brew. If you haven't tried it out, it'll bless your soul. It's even more caffeinated. So, according to them, it may elevate some stress rates and some heart rates. You know what? They also say that the media overload that we're experiencing is also causing our stress rates to elevate because we carry a supercomputer around with us and it's just very distracting, very time consuming, and we still don't know the effect that it has on our brain, and it shortly plays into our short attention span. Hold on, I think I just got a text. No, I'm not going to do that to you guys, but that supercomputer, you're on it hours and hours throughout the day. There's actually a new update on the iPhones that tell you how, like, what you're averaging each week screen time, and it is pretty convicting if you uh, look into it. It'll help you realize, oh man, man, I can't go to sleep without it. Like It really can be somewhat addictive, and when you try to break free, it can elevate your stressors. Now, these same people have actually given a few suggestions on how to handle the strength. And, and I don't know, as I look through these, they feel a little bit self-help to me. They don't really feel 
like transformational. They don't really feel like these suggestions I'm going to read to you are life-changing. It sounds like they're kind of just helping us manage the stress, like starting a budget. Like you can start a budget, but if you don't have a whole lot of money, you might even get more stressed out. Like I've done financial peace, and when I first set out to do that journey with Dave Ramsey, I started to get a little bit more worried because I realized how much money I was wasting. So my, my stress levels went up a little bit when I started a budget. Get your home organized. Now, for some people, you love this. It's like you love a clean house. Me, I'm, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Like I vacuum one room, and I'm like tapped out for the day. My wife, Erica, loves to clean, and she gets this euphoric existence that's, to me, probably similar to like an illicit substance. Like I think it's a trouble. Like it's a high for her once she's finished cleaning the house. Um, but what's cool for me is I'm not as good as cleaning at than she is. And so, you know, sometimes she's just like, just let me do it. And I'm like, oh, I was trying to help. So I get out of cleaning every once in a while. But that doesn't really help my stress. It, it definitely helps hers when the house is clean. They say meditating, which to me, I, I've got a short attention span. I'm a little bit ADHD, so meditation doesn't work for me. If that's your thing, cool. Another thing they say to help handle stress, join a fitness class. I, you know, I, I, I've heard good things about yoga. Um, but I know you, you don't want to see me in yoga pants. And I just know, like, my luck, I've always, everybody's heard stories of somebody, like, not being able to control, like, a little bit of a toot. And, like, that would be me. And it would get caught on video somehow, knowing my luck. So I'm just going to steer clear of the fitness classes. I'll go to my gym. You know, which, by the way, they say this whole fitness thing is a way to reduce stress. And I've been working out for years and the other day, I got what my doctor called an exertion headache, and I was doing, like, I was doing the normal exercise, and all of a sudden, my brain just felt like it was going to blow up. So I've taken a few weeks off, but I was a little bit frustrated with when he labeled it an exertion headache because it wasn't very much weight. <laughs> so he says, this is what happens when you push yourself a little too hard. I'm like, well, I'm not as strong as I thought I was then, so I'm getting back on it tomorrow. I'm, 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 out, I'm saying that publicly for accountability. We'll see if I survive the gym tomorrow evening. They say cooking healthy dishes can help reduce your stress. Yeah, but like I'm not a very nice person when I've got to like go without cheeseburgers. So there's got to be a better way dietary wise to lower my stress levels. And they say devote time to your goals every single day. Now, like I need a day off. So I'm wondering, does this like include weekends? Like <laughs> how important are those goals? Do I need to work on Saturdays? Those are my grilling days, you know, like these are the things that I do to relax. I like a nice Saturday around my grill, smoking some meat, hanging out with my kids. Some of us think vacations are the cure to stress, but we all know if you take your kids on vacation, it's not a real vacation, right? How many of you come back from a vacation more exhausted than when you leave? Now, these are all great tips, and they're all probably helpful ways to manage the stress, but I don't think it actually is... Is, is, is something that addresses what's happening in our society, what's happening internally when we experience significant amounts of stress. I think that the Bible has something to say that's a lot deeper than any self-help, than any tip or any habits or hobbies that you could engage in that would help you manage your stress. I, I, I think God wants better for us than simply managing stress. I think God wants us to have an existence where we know peace. The Bible says here in Philippians 4 that we can live in a state of peace that passes understanding. 
Did you know that, that the peace that could be defining the way that we live, the type of people that we are, the way we parent, the way we live, the way that we work, it's not supposed to make sense because we could be living through our worst nightmare but still be rooted and grounded and existing in peace. Biblical peace is not just tranquility. It's not just a state of zen. It's not just the absence of conflict. No, biblical peace, when they would have heard this letter read aloud to them at that church in Philippi, when the, the leader was reading about a peace that passes understanding, the, the word, that, the picture that would be created in their mind in, in the Greek language was a sense of wholeness, that you're intact on the inside, that your heart, your mind, your spirit, there's a sense of unity and completion on the inside. That's peace. And, and I don't really see that happening as a norm in today's world. And I think people are looking for hope. They're looking for peace. And it's up to us as Jesus people to display a way of living that demonstrates that even when you're not getting what you want, even when you're getting the exact opposite of what you want, even when you're living through a nightmare, even when you're living in times of sickness or even poverty, you can have peace that passes understanding it's antithetical to the way the world lives you see the world pursues peace like this the world says when i feel peaceful about something then i will move forward how many of you ever used that excuse before oh i just don't have any peace about this so we delay a decision we delay progress we delay life change until we feel peaceful about something well i just want to let you know Peace is not about deciding what I'm supposed to do. It's about remembering what God has done. This peace that passes understanding that gets granted to us as Christ followers doesn't happen when we get some kind of confirmation that we're on the right path or when we get some sort of emotional validation that this is the right decision. No, this is faith that we're talking about. This is faith being activated, that even when your circumstances seem unpeaceful and seem chaotic and seem confusing and seem painful, that we can still exist in a sense of peace. There's a formula, there's a step-by-step -step process, there's a way that we can pray that brings about peace in our lives, and it has nothing to do with what we have to offer. It has everything to do with remembering what God has done. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to study God's Word. God, I ask you today, that as we increase our awareness and our gratefulness through all that you've done, that it would give us peace to know that you're in charge and that whatever we're living through, you've got it under control. Help us to become people of peace today. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're going to be wrapping up our study of Philippians right here in chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, let your reasonableness be made, be made known to everyone. Man, these words are hard for me right now. <laughs> the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pause there for a second. We're going to go by this kind of word by word, verse by verse, but, but don't miss what he's saying. He's saying rejoice at all times, not just when you feel like it, not just when you're getting what you want, but even when it doesn't make sense, rejoice. It says don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about 
everything. And then bring those requests with gratitude, and you're going to get peace. And then it goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want you to think about the last time that you were stressed out about something. And I'm not talking about stressed out like you're late for work, where all you got to do is just get a good spot on 400, and you'll eventually pass enough people and get back on track. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the kind of stress that you can actually solve just with your own resources or your own problem-solving skills. I want you to think to a time in life where you were just overwhelmed, where you were stressed out and you were in need of peace, where you would have loved for this verse to bend your reality, but for some reason peace always seemed just a little bit out of reach. I, I want us to think about that in those moments where we felt overwhelmed, but we didn't understand why things just kept going wrong, where we just couldn't get a win, where nothing was going the way that we planned, hoped, or dreamed. I want you to think about the response to that moment of stress, that season of discomfort. Did your response demonstrate to people who don't know Jesus <laughs> that your faith can sustain you? And that peace can come from God? Or did your response kind of mirror the way a lost world responds to things? We grab the hole of the steering wheel even harder. And we worry even deeper. And we try everything. I I've been there before. See, my, my first response, my instinct are not to do what it says in verse 4. And rejoice and pray. You know, I, I, I kind of tend sometimes to jump past the prayer and get right into like the problem solving. And what always ends up happening, what finally brings me to a place of trusting in God is when I've been disappointed by my own efforts and disappointed by the promises of everything else I'm looking to for peace. And then I finally at rock bottom, like, okay, God, what do you want? What I want to let you know is we don't have to go down that path. We don't have to learn lessons the hard way. There's a verse a sequence, a process, a way of praying, a way of living, a way of trusting. We can just skip all that mess and get to the peace. And it doesn't mean that things won't go wrong. It doesn't mean that you're not going to find yourself in situations that trigger those anxious thoughts, like it says in verse 6. But what it does mean is despite all that, in the middle of all that, we can respond to it in a way that shows that this Jesus way of living is real there's substance to our faith, and that there's peace in the middle of our pain. In verse 4, it says rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So I think this is why sometimes Christian music gets a, a bad reputation. For a long time, on, on Christian radio, people outside the church don't really get it because they feel like it's a little bit fake. Like nobody could honestly ever be that happy. And they felt like a lot of times there's a disconnect between the things we sing about in Christian music and then the reality of life here on earth. That it's all focused on heaven and all everything that's great, but then it doesn't really address the problems. And so what I'm saying is it's okay 
to let things be broken. It's okay to be devastated. It's okay to acknowledge the fact that we go through times of suffering. When we have a bad day and we just put on a smiley face, that doesn't increase people's faith in God. It makes it harder for them to actually relate to us. So this whole thing of rejoicing doesn't mean that we put on a Christian face and hope for the best. No, no, this is something that we can actually do in times of grieving, in times of loss, in times of illness. Because this word rejoice doesn't just mean we celebrate even when we don't feel like it. No, the word rejoice, as they would have heard it in their original language, was actually a command to remind yourself of God's grace. Because the word for rejoice and the word grace in the Greek language actually have the same exact root. So what he's saying here, not just sometimes when you're winning, not just when things are going your way, rejoice in the Lord. It's saying, no, in all seasons, on top of a mountain, in the bottom of a valley, in that doctor's office when you're looking over the scans and confirming a diagnosis that you didn't think would ever happen to you, rejoice. What he's saying is, Take a conscious effort to remind yourself to revisit God's grace. Think about the last thing that God did for you. Think about that moment where you went from death to life because you placed your faith in Jesus. Sometimes rejoicing is a tearful, mourning thing, but it's, it's a confident hope that God sees me in my pain and he's going to give me what I need to get through this. Rejoicing looks different to everyone. Rejoicing doesn't mean that we pretend the pain isn't there. We're notorious of that in the Bible Belt. Acting like everything's okay, like we've got it together. No, you can be totally broken and still have a posture and an inner sense of wholeness, of biblical peace in the middle of a broken and divided way of living. And that's actually what Paul's talking about in verse 6 when he says, don't be anxious about anything. And I, I, I want to take a minute just to really use some sensitive words for the way I describe how to handle anxious thoughts. Mental illness is a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing. It is not just a mental thing. It's, it's a medical thing. My wife's side of the family, my wife's side of the family, mental illness runs deep. And my wife has been very open on her own journey on social media with her battle with, di with, with her diagnosis of, of, uh, of anxiety and depression and, and there's been seasons where she's been on medication for it and there have been people in church world that think you should just be able to pray your anxiety away because they take verses like this out of context let me just be very clear for a minute i'm differentiating between clinical anxiety and and moments where you're anxious about something you see i, I see this a lot I've, I've worked a lot in the school system with fca and some social emotional wellness committees in the school system in forsyth county we're raising up a generation of people who think because we're worried about something that they have an anxiety disorder. And it's very, very different. We all get anxious about something. It doesn't mean that we have anxiety. I'm not talking about mental illness right now. I'm talking about moments where we fear a hypothetical scenario that we are not desiring. Anxious thoughts. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. If you are struggling with clinical anxiety, we've got counselors, and our counselors and our pastors are advocates for, for, for medicine, okay? You take Advil when you've got a sore, when you've got a headache, there's, there's seasons where medication may be what you need to stabilize your brain 
so that you can learn how to process an anxiety disorder. That's not what we're talking about here in Philippians 4. We're talking about common, everyday things that we dread. How do we handle those stressful triggers in a way that leads to peace, in a way that leads to promoting that God's got this. And when people look at my struggle, they see God guiding me through. That's what I'm talking about. So when he says to be anxious about nothing, but to pray about everything, basically what Paul is saying, if there's something that is taking up real estate in your thoughts, it should take up real estate in your prayers. But man, I have got to confess this to you guys. This is really hard for me. Part of because of my short attention span, but also because I said earlier, I like to just engage and fix things and find the outcome. I like to think strategically and A plus B equals C and that's good on the other side of prayer. There's nothing wrong with wanting to engage and try to fix things and play an active role in your healing and play an active role in, in, in discovering peace. But first, our first response as children of God is to look to our Father. Be anxious about nothing but pray about everything. Child of God, if you're thinking about it, you should be praying about it. Prayer is our response to the things that trigger our worries and our anxiety. How many of you have got that one friend that never asks for help? And it's so frustrating when they finally open up that something's been happening for weeks or months and you're like, why are you just telling me now? I could have helped you. I'm not exaggerating. I'm... I have a volunteer at the Forsyth campus who literally, it took a heart attack. We're having to put stents in his arteries before he finally opened up and asked for help. And in the hospital is when his small group guys found out that in the past few months, he had been navigating through a job change and moving his family across town, renovating a house so they could sell it and packing up their furniture and moving it on their own, never once asking for help. Those are two of the most stressful things that psychologists say you can go through is, 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 is moving and changing a career. Not once did he ask for help. And he literally had a heart attack afterward. I think God sometimes is that friend that's like, why are you not asking for help? I could have been there for you. See, I've heard somebody say the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. He's not going to make peace our reality. He's not going to force things to just work themselves out. No, he wants us to engage him and ask him for help. Guess what? Prayer is not so much so that we, God can fix things. It's not so much to change the heart of God because God knows what we need before we even ask for it. We're not reminding God to help us. It's not so much to change what's happening in our life or to change the mind of God as much as it is to change what's happening on our hearts. That we would recognize that he's in control, that he's got it. And if, even if he doesn't answer it the way we want, we can trust that his goodness is going to be made clear to us, even in the middle of our stress and our pain and our chaos. It's not a waste of time to ask God for the things that we need. It's the instruction that he gives us. The things that worry you should be the very things that you spend a lot of time praying about. That's why he goes on to say, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. He goes on to say this word supplication. Supplication is just another way to say to petition God. So he's saying, do it in repetition. 
every day, some of us every hour, bring your request to God. And, and, and maybe you're in a place where you're like, I just feel selfish. I need to pray for world peace. I need to pray for everybody else. It's not selfish. God wants to be recognized as the source of your provision. Prayer is a lot more about what it does to us than what God can do for us. Prayer can transform us. Prayer undergirds our life as it reminds us that God is in control, that he's going to see us through. But there is a way that we are supposed to pray, and it's outlined here. There's a way that we're supposed to pray. I'm going to read you this verse again, and I want you to not miss. There is a key word that I think a lot of our prayers are missing, and I think it may be the reason why a lot of our prayers feel like they're unanswered. Philippians 4. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So repetitious prayer, consistent prayer, help, 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 heal me, heal me, heal me, give me more money, a raise would be nice. Doesn't matter what it is, ask God for it, but don't stop there. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Have you ever been involved in a text thread, it's getting a little bit heated. You can tell they're using some emojis that are not meant to make you smile. <laughs> There's a little more all caps words than you're cool with. And I'm not advocating solving problems or getting in a disagreement via text, but it's the world we live in, right? So a lot of times, heat, heated exchanges can happen over text messages and things are misinterpreted because you can't tell body language or you can't tell tone. So we always jump to the worst conclusion, right? We always take things personal over text. And if we would just be disciplined to like have those conversations in person, you know, we've got courage behind a screen that we would never have face-to-face, -face, right? Like we're going to do things and say things with our thumbs that we would never do face-to-face. -face. But we've all been there where the text message is getting out of control. And we're like, okay, I figured it out. And you're texting your response, and it's like a couple of paragraphs, and you press send, but maybe you ran out of signal at that moment, or maybe you forgot to press send. And so you realize later, man, there's still some unresolved tension. Didn't they read my text messages? It would have fixed everything. But you forgot to press send, or the signal didn't let it through. Man, I just feel that sometimes when we present our requests without thanksgiving, it's like forgetting to press send. I think a lot of times our prayer life is a lot of our wants and our needs and how God can help us. And we don't allocate time in our prayers to stop and just say, God, thank you for all you've done this far. Even better to me than I deserve. If you do nothing else until the day that I die and I see you face to face, you're still good. Thank you for breath in my lungs today. Thank you for causing the sun to rise and give me another chance to get things right. Thank you for my job, even though I don't like my job. I recognize that I'm a one percenter compared to what the rest of the world is living in. Yes, you here in Dawson County, if you ever want to get some perspective, if you ever want to grow your muscles of gratitude, then go spend some time on a mission trip in a developing country. And the things that you and I call problems are really going to be more labeled like inconveniences. It's going to be a lot easier to be grateful for what you've got when you go realize the joy and the fulfillment that people live in all around the world. And they don't have access to half the amenities we do. And they live on pennies on the dollar compared to what we live on. It's all about perspective. And I think it's borderline offensive 
to a God who wants to provide everything, more than we could even imagine, that we would come into his presence and not thank him and praise him for all that he's done. It's my belief that when we don't pause and press thanks and say thanks to God and express gratitude, that those are prayers that are very difficult for him to hear. So if you feel like your prayers are going unanswered, what I challenge you to do is, is look at the transcripts of your prayers. I mean, how much time is focused on me, my wants and my needs, which again, I'm not here to guilt trip you. It's very clear. He wants us to bring those to him often. He wants us to pray about anything and everything. But he also wants to check and see if we know that he's got it. That he's never said oops. That the thing is overwhelming you. He's not kind of up there scratching his head saying, I wonder, how's this going to work out? No. When we pause and choose to be grateful, we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness of yesterday. And we can expect his faithfulness tomorrow. There's something powerful and transformational that happens in our life when we choose to pray with gratitude. So here's what I want you to write down. You can put it somewhere that's going to remind you to pray like this often. It's a simple math. This is the formula. This is the only place in all the Bible that I've been able to find is a step-by-step simple process to find a peace of mind and a peace of being. It says request plus gratitude equals peace. It's simple. It's not easy. It's going to take waking up a little bit earlier. It's going to take praying a little bit more often than just mealtime and asking a blessing. Did you know back in the ancient Jewish days, they didn't say blessings before their meal because they believed that when God created everything and rested on the seventh day of creation, they said it is good. They think there's an inherent blessing on all the food. So why are they going to ask for a blessing when they know it's already blessed? So what they would do is they would pray after they ate and they would just simply thank God for his provision. That's a pretty cool concept, right? They understood the power of gratitude. Request plus gratitude equals peace. Be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Partner those prayers with thanksgiving. And the peace that passes, understanding, will come and guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need. A peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that's confusing to people. Onlookers, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your teammates, the people that serve on the same PTO board as you, the, the, the soccer moms that sit on the sidelines with you while your kids are practicing, they know when something's not okay. What they're looking for is to see how you handle it. And we can handle it in a way that shows that my faith is guiding me, my faith is anchoring me, and because of all God has done, I've got peace that everything's going to turn out okay. That is a way of living that is countercultural, that doesn't make sense. Because the world says that it's all up to you, it's all on you, you've got to fix it, you've got to solve it, you've got to earn it. And so often, we don't turn to God until we've been disappointed by everything else. We've ran out of our own strength, we've ran out of our own resources, we're just confused and we can't see a way out. That's when we finally surrender the principles of this verse. And that's why peace always seems just a little bit further away. It's just outside of our reach. And he goes on to say, 
He wraps up his letter saying, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. This is the secret. This is how we choose to not learn lessons the hard way. This is how we unleash peace into our life today. This is how we live in a way that we don't have to wait for the problem to be solved to feel good about things. Practice comes. Peace comes from practice. Anything you practice, anything we do regularly, we develop a proficiency at. Think about the things you do at your job. There are things that day one that you weren't very good at, that you had to have someone train you on. You had to be onboarded. But now that you've been in that role for a little while, you can do it in your sleep. That's probably one of the reasons why we spend so much time on YouTube because we've gotten really good at our job and we don't need the whole eight hours of the day to do it. When you get proficient at something, you can do it faster, you can do it smarter, and much more efficiently. The same thing could be happening to us spiritually. We could obtain peace smarter, faster, and more efficiently if we would practice these things. Anything you practice with discipline, you become proficient at. You've got skills that you do every day that you don't even look at as skills just because you do them consistently. I, I, I bet we would be blown away if we had a competition to see how many words we could text per minute. It's probably faster than anybody on an old school typewriter, right? You've become very proficient at texting. Driving. Some of you can drive with no hands, you know, just like drive with a knee down 400. Hopefully you're not proficient at both of those two things at the same time, texting and driving. We develop proficiencies at things that we do often. How many of you remember a few years back when they first introduced self-checkout at Kroger? And that machine was so loud and telling you everything you're doing wrong. And the person who was working the self-checkout, that was like the most stressful job at all of Kroger. But now that it's been here for a few years and people are getting used to it, that person's job is easy because everyone's getting so good at it. There's another skill you didn't know you had. I bet there's some of y'all in here that have a really hard-earned skill of doing one trip from your car to your house where all the groceries are stacked on both arms. Like, you see, anything that you do regularly, you develop a sense of excellence at. So practice these things. And peace will come and guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Here's how we combat the anxious thoughts. Here's how we combat stress. It's not another habit or self-help. It's not a class. All those things are good, but all they do is help manage the symptoms of stress. The way we handle stress is we take ownership over our hearts and our minds. We pursue that sense of wholeness. Do you know the word they heard for anxious did not just make them think about worrying? In the original language that they spoke, there's so many more intricacies and nuances that we lose when we translate things to English. When he said, don't be anxious about anything, it meant don't be divided. <laughs> That's why this anxiety that we struggle with is, is, is the opposite of peace. It's not just because we're worried. It's because we're actually violating our beliefs. We're dividing our faith when we choose to yield to anxiety and worry. And then choose to place our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus. We can't really do both at the same time. 
So when he's saying don't be anxious about anything, he's saying don't divide yourself unnecessarily. Keep your hearts and your mind unified by prayer, by practicing these things, by thinking about, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Dwell on these things. When you have these intrusive thoughts, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling stressed, what it's actually saying is eject those thoughts. Replace them with these things. This word true, whatever is true, it means think about whatever can't be hidden. Man, like that's, that's a whole new way of looking at life. Think about the things that can't be hidden. The Bible says in Romans 1 that the eternal qualities and the divine attributes of God are revealed in creation. Like, put yourself in an environment where you can't help but to notice the power and the majesty and the strength of God. Climb Sonny Mountain. Go watch a sunset. Put yourself in places where the truths of God can't be hidden. Join a small group. Start volunteering. Be here more than once a month. Put yourself where you cannot deny that God is up to something. When you practice these things, when you get real with God about your needs and your fears and your worries and you ask for help, but then you couple that with gratitude for what he's done, peace is inevitable. This is a promise from God. When we live and pray this way, when we practice these things, when we grow in these things, peace can be what defines us in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a tragedy, in the middle of a transition where everything's going wrong. We can be people full of peace that doesn't make any sense. That's the way of the kingdom. That's the expectation that we can have and lay hold of as God's children. So what I'm going to do for us today is in the time of prayer, and I don't just want you to listen to me pray. I want you to close your eyes and to go to battle with me here. We're going to battle these intrusive thoughts. We're going to battle these things that trigger anxiety and trigger worry. And we're going to ask God for help. But we're also going to thank him for what he's done. So this isn't me praying for you. This is me praying with you. So with every eye closed. God, I would just ask that conversations are taking place in the hearts and minds of your children in this room today. Lord, let us just, for a moment, just very soberly stare down the things that are not okay in our life. The things that bother us. The things that we didn't ask for. The hurts. The things that we just can't seem to get a solution to. And Lord, let us turn them over to you right now. Lord, there are people in this room that need miracles, that need you to do something. So we're boldly asking for help. But Lord, as we ask you to do what only you can do, to move mountains on our behalf, to untangle the knot that our life is currently, Lord, not only do we boldly ask you for help, Lord, we boldly thank you for everything that you've done. In this moment, Lord, please increase our awareness of your faithfulness. Allow us to send things up to you that we are grateful for, for friends, Lord, for today, for family. Lord, let us even be thankful for difficult times and the lessons that we learned in those times. Lord, make us consciously aware 
of how actively involved your grace is in our journey. And Lord, I pray that as we do those two things, that we would experience the peace that you promise us. We give you our requests. We send you our gratitude. And Lord, now we're ready for your peace. That even when life isn't good, you still are. We're thankful for all you've done. We're hopeful for what you're about to do. And we walk out of here with confidence, with peace that doesn't make sense according to the things that are happening in our life, Lord. It doesn't make sense that some people should be peaceful. But because of who you are and what is done, Lord, we lay claim to that peace and we walk in it as your sons and daughters. In your name we pray. God's people said.